You are listening to The Pregnancy Podcast with Vanessa Merton. Hello, and thank you for tuning into the Pregnancy Podcast. If you want to know what is going on with your baby this week, what is up with your pregnant body, and get a tip for dad, be sure to check out the 40 Weeks Podcast. And you can listen to that everywhere you listen to the Pregnancy Podcast, or go to PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash week, and you can sign up with your due date and your email address and get an email in your inbox every week according to whatever week you are on. I know how busy you are. So each of these episodes are just five minutes or less. Last week, we talked about hospital birth and everything that you can expect from the minute that you walk into the hospital pregnant to walking out holding your new baby. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to the episode at pregnancypodcast.com forward slash episode 37. This week, we are talking about epidurals what an epidural is, what's involved in the procedure, what the benefits and risks are, and the possible side effects. You know I will also throw some research in there so that you have all the information that you need to really be a pro on this topic by the end of the episode. The term epidural is basically used to encompass any type of anesthetic medication used for labor and birth. There are actually three separate procedures that can be done that are often lumped under the umbrella term epidural. The three procedures are epidurals, spinals, and then the combined spinal epidural. An epidural blocks the nerve impulses from the lower spinal segments, so the end result is decreased sensation in the lower half of your body. An epidural involves continuous delivery of medication. A tiny catheter, which is a really thin tube, is inserted into a space between your vertebrae and your spinal fluid, and then once it's in place, medication is delivered through the tube. It's going to take around 15 minutes to get to work, and if more is needed or wanted, more medication can be delivered through the catheter. A spinal is a one-time injection directly into your spinal fluid. This is sometimes called a spinal block, and there's no continuous medication being delivered. This gets to work pretty quickly, usually within about five minutes, and then it's not going to last too long, about an hour or two. A spinal is frequently used in conjunction with an epidural to make a combined spinal epidural. This takes effect within about five minutes, like a spinal, and then it works to deliver continuous medication like an epidural. For the purposes of this episode, we're talking about an epidural as in the catheter in your back delivering continuous medication, whether it's just solely an epidural or the combination of a spinal and an epidural. If you want to get more into detail as to your options between just the epidural or the combination of the two, talk to your care provider. They're going to be an excellent resource. An epidural or the combination spinal epidural do differ. Both are delivering continuous medication and everything that we're talking about today applies to both. With an epidural, an initial dose of narcotic, anesthetic, or a combination of the two is injected. Then the anesthesiologist is going to pull 
the needle back into the epidural space and thread a catheter through the needle. Then they withdraw the needle and leave the catheter in place. Epidurals are pretty common, and in the United States, over 60% of moms who have a vaginal birth receive an epidural. If you want to read more on the demographics of women who are opting in to get an epidural, I'm going to put a link to the CDC data in the show notes. The medications used for an epidural can be a combination of more than one drug. What medications are used, in what amounts, and for how long they are administered is all going to depend on your individual needs, your care provider, and the hospital. Different techniques, medications, and doses all have different results and different risks, so it's really important to talk to your doctor or midwife about what their policy and practice is so that you know what options you have when it comes to medications, and then you can make the best decision for you. Generally speaking, the medication that you will receive is a combination of a local anesthetic, which is used to decrease filling in a specific area, and this is probably going to be something like bupivocaine, chloroprocaine procaine or lidocaine, and an opiate like fentanyl or morphine in order to decrease the required dose of the anesthetic and prolong the effects. The end result is relief from filling contractions. Depending on the hospital and where you live, additional drugs could be added to an epidural. In the UK, diamorphine is also added to an epidural for a cesarean section. If you're not familiar with what diamorphine is, it is medical-grade heroin. When you're talking about medications via an epidural, you are dealing with some very powerful and very effective drugs. Epidurals are effective at minimizing sensations during contractions and labor. A very, very small percentage of women may not find the relief that they are looking for, but the majority will, and chances are if it's not working, something just needs to be adjusted. A scenario in which an epidural may not be very effective is if the baby's in an especially uncomfortable position. Occasionally, the epidural may only be working on one side of your body, and this is usually caused by the catheter not being positioned properly or if it has become dislodged or if you remain in the same position for too long. These issues can be easily corrected, and in most cases, if everything is set up properly and it's not effective, you might just require a higher dose of medication if you don't feel like it's working well. Before you get an epidural, you're going to be given intravenous fluids or IV fluids. Throughout labor and delivery, you can expect to receive around one to two liters of IV fluids. I talk a lot more about this in the episode on interventions and how IV fluids can affect your baby and their weight after birth. So if you have not listened to that episode, I really recommend that you do. And you can find that at pregnancypodcast.com forward slash episode eight. If you listen to episode 35 on electronic fetal monitoring, you already know that having an epidural means that you will be continuously monitored. It can take 30 to 45 minutes from the time you ask for an epidural until it is in place and working. This procedure is not going to be done by an intern. It's going to be performed by an anesthesiologist. So one needs to be available. They need to come to your room and administer it. The anesthesiologist is going to ask you to arch your back and remain still either while lying on your left side or sitting up. The position that you're in during this procedure is important for preventing problems and increasing the effectiveness of the epidural. They will use an antiseptic to wipe your lower back to minimize the chance of an infection. 
Next, the injection site is going to be numbed with a local anesthetic. When this happens, you might feel a pinch and a sting for about 10 seconds. Then the epidural needle is inserted and it's left in place for just a minute or two until a thin flexible catheter is inserted into the epidural space. I think the mental picture is this big, huge, thick needle. The catheter is about the size of a pencil lead and the spinal needle is only about the width of a thick piece of hair. So probably not as bad as you were imagining. When the epidural is administered, you're going to feel some pressure, but it shouldn't be painful. And then the catheter is going to be taped to your back to keep it in place and prevent it from slipping out. A term you hear a lot is walking epidural. This is really just a lower dose of medication from a combined spinal epidural that allows you to maintain more feeling. You may not necessarily be able to walk around with this. Also, you're going to be hooked up with the epidural in your back, an IV delivering fluids through a tube in the top of your hand, and an electronic fetal monitor strapped to your belly. So you are going to have limited mobility, even if you do feel enough sensation to stand up. A lower dose of medication and more sensation may make it easier for you to feel when you are having a contraction or when you need to push during the second stage of labor. An option you may have is patient-controlled epidural analgesia. Patient-controlled means that a pump is connected to the epidural that has a button that you can push if you want more medication. This gives you a lot more control over the amount of medication that you are receiving, and you don't need to worry about overdosing because the pump is going to be pre-programmed with limits on how much can be delivered. In the past, many doctors wanted you to be in active labor before starting an epidural. Their concern was that an epidural might slow down your contractions. Today, many care providers are going to allow you to start an epidural whenever you ask for it. Talk to your care provider about when you can get an epidural so that you know what their policy and thoughts on it are. If you know that you want an epidural the second that you get to the hospital, you can ask the anesthesiologist to put the catheter in place once you are settled into the delivery room, and you can always wait to start the medication until your labor becomes more active. You also have the option to hold off, which could be beneficial if being more mobile is helpful for you because your mobility will be limited with IVs, the epidural, and fetal monitoring. One of my very best friends was so afraid that she was going to miss the window to get an epidural. You should know that this is not a short window. You can get an epidural up until your baby's head is crowning. It's very unlikely, especially if this is your first baby, that you're going to get to that point in a super short period of time. Like I said, though, it could take up to 45 minutes if the anesthesiologist is tied up with another patient. So if you know that you want an epidural, plan ahead. A couple of side notes. If you end up having a cesarean section, an epidural is of course not optional. It's a requirement. And if you do deliver via C-section, an epidural will allow you to stay awake and also provide effective pain relief during recovery from the surgery. I'll be getting into all the details on C-sections next week. Also, there are some instances in which an epidural would not be recommended to you. And this could be if you use blood thinners, if you have low platelet counts, if you are hemorrhaging or in shock, or if you have a blood infection or an infection in your back. Now that you know what an epidural is, how it works, and how it is put in, let's talk about some of the benefits. A 
aside of the obvious anecdotal stories about women who didn't feel a thing and had the easiest labor ever, there can be some benefits to an epidural. First, having an epidural can allow you to rest. This could be a big benefit if you have had a particularly long labor. Labor is a marathon and it can be exhausting. Some moms are even able to sleep through some of their earlier labor while their cervix is opening with an epidural. Another benefit is that an epidural does not knock you out, so you will still be alert and can be an active participant in your birth. Another benefit is that as your needs change during labor, the type of medications used, the amounts, and the strength of the medications can be adjusted. Overall, as far as medication to minimize you feeling contractions during labor, an epidural is the most used and the most effective medication and delivery system available. As with any medication, there are possible side effects that you might experience. A few of these are shivering, ringing in your ears, backache, or soreness where the needle is inserted. The narcotics delivered through an epidural can cause itchiness, particularly in your face. The medications used may also make you nauseous, although keep in mind you could also be nauseous from labor without an epidural. That is fairly common. An epidural may make it difficult to tell when you need to urinate, and you could end up with a catheter that would be used to empty your bladder. About 14 out of every 100 women who get an epidural do end up with a catheter. An epidural raises your risk of running a fever in labor, and this affects about 23 out of 100 women. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly why this happens. Having a fever does not increase you or your baby's risk for an infection, but since fever is a sign of infection, it's possible that you or your baby could end up with antibiotics unnecessarily. An epidural may cause your blood pressure to suddenly drop. This happens in about 14 of every 100 women. The issue with your blood pressure dropping is that it also affects the blood flow to your baby, and a drop in blood pressure is often treated with IV fluids, medications, and oxygen. One side effect that affects about 1 in 100 women who receive an epidural is a severe headache, and this is caused by leakage of spinal fluid. This can be treated with a procedure called a blood patch in which a small amount of your blood is injected into the epidural space. You can reduce the risk of a headache by lying as still as possible during the procedure while the needle is being placed. In really rare instances, an epidural could affect your breathing and very rarely could cause permanent nerve damage or result in an infection. This is just an overview of the side effects, and this list is not specific to particular medications, so you definitely want to discuss any possible side effects of the specific medications that you are going to be given with your care provider. I will include a link to the article with more info on the stats for side effects in the show notes. Now that we have covered what the benefits and possible side effects are, let's go through some of the risks or drawbacks associated with epidurals. We already covered the IV monitoring and mobility issues. You will need to alternate sides while lying in bed because lying in one position can sometimes cause labor to slow down or stop. And of course, you want labor to keep progressing. Numbness could be an issue once you have your baby because you might be a little bit limited in how you can move around if you don't have a lot of feeling. 
Much of the data on the use of epidurals shows associations with increased risks of instrumental delivery, which we will talk about in a minute, an increase for fetal malposition, meaning the baby is in a face-up position at delivery. This usually makes for a longer labor, higher doses of Pitocin, and a significantly higher rate of C-sections. Epidurals are also associated with a longer second stage of labor and fetal distress. If you would like to read more on the data available, I will link to the full publication from the CDC in the show notes. Depending on how numb you are with an epidural, you might have difficulty telling when you are having a contraction, and this can make pushing a little bit more difficult to control. A review of 38 different studies involving nearly 1,000 women showed that an epidural tended to make the second pushing stage of labor longer. If you're having a tough time pushing during the second stage of labor, it is possible that your little one will need some assistance and a vacuum or forceps could be used. Women who get an epidural are at an increased risk for instrumental or assisted delivery, and this almost always comes with an episiotomy. I did a whole episode on episiotomy. If you missed that and you want to learn more about it, you can hear it at pregnancypodcast.com forward slash episode 22. I will link to this review in the show notes as well, showing about the association between epidurals and assisted delivery if you want to read more on it. And more details on the intervention of an assisted delivery are covered in the intervention episode I did. And all of this will be in the show notes. An epidural will affect the natural flow of hormones that happens during birth, specifically your oxytocin levels, which control your contractions, and this may be why Pitocin use is quite frequent with an epidural. The biggest question is probably whether an epidural has a negative effect on your baby. Because there are no perfect studies with controlled test groups, it's really tough to assess exactly what impact an epidural has on your baby. Any medication that you were using during labor is going to enter your baby's bloodstream through the umbilical cord. Many of the effects on your baby are going to be a direct result of the possible side effects an epidural can have on you, like running a fever, having a drop in your blood pressure, and we talked about how those side effects can impact your baby. As far as the research that I can find, epidurals have no known long-term disadvantages, but more studies and research are really needed. The research on epidurals and their impact on breastfeeding, or more specifically your baby's desire to breastfeed, are a little bit tough to dissect, and there are some conflicting studies. They are about split in half between half of those showing a negative association between epidurals and breastfeeding, and then about half showing no effect. It's really difficult to pinpoint a correlation between one intervention, like an epidural, with the outcome of something like breastfeeding because there are so many other variables. Unfortunately, it's just really tough to have a perfect study on this kind of thing. If you are planning on an epidural and you are at all concerned about your baby breastfeeding, take advantage of being in a hospital and ask to see a lactation consultant to really make sure that you get off on the right foot with breastfeeding. If you do want to read the full review on epidurals and breastfeeding, I will link to it in the show notes at pregnancypodcast.com forward slash episode 38. 
If you are planning on getting an epidural or you have any questions about it at all, I really urge you to talk to your care provider. Some questions you can ask them before you go into labor so that you know what you are opting into if you do ask for an epidural are what combination and what dosage of drugs are going to be used, what are the potential side effects of those drugs, what are your policies for procedures like an assisted delivery if an epidural creates a need for it, how will the medications affect my baby, will I be able to get up and walk around, or how is my mobility going to be impacted, and lastly, ask if they have any restrictions on what fluids and solids you can eat or drink. You know, I am a big fan of getting informed and asking questions. So if you have any questions at all, please do not hesitate to talk to your doctor or midwife about it. Remember, they are your trusted partner in really creating the birth experience you want. Whether or not you are planning on an epidural and the other interventions that could potentially come along with it, these are all excellent topics to include in your birth plan. If you have not yet written a birth plan and you're stuck on how to start, I'd be happy to share a copy of mine with you so you can see an example of how one could be worded. Also, your doctor or midwife is an excellent resource for questions about epidurals and the pros and cons, so talk to them about it. If you want to see a copy of my birth plan, you can go to pregnancypodcast.com forward slash birth plan and pop in your email address and I'll shoot a copy to you via email. To recap today's episode, we explained what an epidural is, what's involved in the procedure, what the benefits and risks are, and the possible side effects. It may seem like the list of side effects and risks involved with this procedure is a little bit long, and there are certainly a lot of women who decide that the benefit of not having to feel all the contractions is totally worth the risk. So it's just going to be up to you to weigh the pros and cons and decide what's going to be best for you and your baby. Just by being informed, you are already on your way to making an excellent choice. I want to thank you for tuning into the pregnancy podcast today. I hope that you find this episode helpful. Next week, we are talking about cesarean sections. Of course, if you are planning a C-section, this is a must listen, but it's also going to be really valuable information to know in the event that things do not go as planned and you end up meeting your baby via a cesarean. As always, you can contact me, Vanessa, at PregnancyPodcast.com. You can find notes and resources for this episode at PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash episode 38. Be sure to check out the 40 Weeks podcast to find out how your baby is developing this week, what's going on with your body, plus get a tip for dad, all in under five minutes. You can find 40 Weeks everywhere that you listen to the Pregnancy Podcast or go to PregnancyPodcast.com forward slash week. Week.